In my last episode, we talked about the first steps in addressing dog aggression. In this episode series, I'm taking you from really the very beginning first steps and just with each episode, showing you a little bit more what's needed in the process of working with your dog and your dog's aggression. In the last episode, I primarily talked about the equipment and the prerequisite training for your dog and for you. Just like with football players going to play a game, they have to have the required equipment and training. And let me tell you something, in this somewhat long journey of really addressing your dog's aggression, you'll need the same thing, equipment and training. In this episode, I'm going to get very specific about exactly what you'll need. I'll provide the what and the where on these things, and I'll put the links in the episode description so you can actually go and get specific information. None of the things really are very expensive at all, but they're just necessary. And I really would like to ask you to take advantage of my lots of experience in dealing with lots and lots of dogs and all kinds of equipment. And I've vetted these things, and I think I found the very best things to use for treating dog aggression, the necessary equipment and tools. Hi, I'm Scott Schaefer, and you're listening to the Dog Aggression Answers Podcast. I've worked with thousands of aggressive dogs and their owners, and I'm certified by two international certifying organizations in dog behavior. In this podcast series, I'll explain why your dog is acting aggressively and provide recognized science-based answers, things you can do to make things better. Understanding and addressing your dog's aggression will make living with your dog better and, let's not forget, improve your dog's life too. When it comes to preparation for behavioral modification in dogs, in this case, aggression, there are essentially three areas, preparation, equipment, and management. Also, owner education. Let me give you the specifics of each of these, kind of a one, two, three thing. And I'll give you the specific requirements and suggestions. Let's start with equipment. You'll need a handful of items depending on your dog's specific situation. Let's just talk about some of these. The first thing you're going to need is treats and a treat bag. And by treat bag, what I mean is something that goes around your waist that holds the treats. And probably the most important part of that treat bag is that it has what I call a hold open feature, meaning it holds itself open so you can quickly go in and out of there. Not unlike the white powder bags that mountain climbers use. In fact, my personal treat bag, I use one of those. I use a mountain climbing bag used for white powder for grip I put dog treats in there because it has a hold open feature. It it holds the bag open so mountain climbers can very quickly get in there and get the stuff. Well, you need the same thing when it comes to treating your dog because when we're treating dogs and behavior modification, we're treating very, very quickly. You'll also need some treats to put in that treat bag, of course. And I have some recommendations for those, but you know what's really the most important thing is that your dog likes the treats. So I'll make some recommendations, but it's what your dog actually likes. And what we're really looking for here, regardless of what you pick, is something that's really small and moist and can be very quickly consumed. We're really looking for a taste, not a meal, as I like to say. 
And in the episode links, I'll put information on what are some great treats and a recommended training bag. In fact, the name of that link is going to be recommended training treats and treat bag. The next thing we're going to talk about is leash. And there's a lot of room for making the leash an effective tool. And the leash that I like for most situations is a two-foot leash for larger dogs and a slightly longer leash, 2.5 or 2.5 to 3 feet for smaller dogs. This may be the most important thing for behavior modification. And the reason for that is because most behavior modification is done on leash. And we have to have all that really sorted out perfectly. And in an upcoming episode, we'll go over the necessary leash skills and how to really implement that with behavior and modification. So important. I am going to provide you a handout in the episode notes. It's called Two Foot Trainer's Leash. It's going to tell you what that is and where you might get it. Not Again, it's not expensive at all. If you have a smaller dog, you'll want to get a two and a half to three foot leash. This leash length, I just can't emphasize this enough, is so important in behavior modification. And one of the reasons for this, which might surprise you, is that it frees up one of your hands for treat delivery. If you're managing a six-foot leash, which is a common length of leash, with both hands, it really makes it hard to be clicking and to be treating your dog, etc. So the two-foot leash or two-and-a-half to three-foot if you have a smaller dog works great. Next, let's talk about the collar. And when it comes to collars, I have to tell you, I've tried them all with many dogs. And you know what I keep coming back to? I like the old school buckle collars, what we had back in the 60s. Just like a belt buckle collar. It's made typically out of nylon or cotton, goes around the dog's neck, typically about half inch up to one inch, depending on the size of the dog and the length of the collar. No prong collars, no choke collars. That's it. It's really, really pretty simple. They're quickly adjustable and they stay adjusted. They don't slip. One of the problems that I see a lot with collars is they're improperly adjusted. And most of the time, most owners have the collars too loose. And I'll show you how to adjust that and we'll, we'll go into detail on that. The next item on equipment is a clicker. And we're all familiar with clickers or most of us are familiar with clickers. Well, they really work great for behavior modification. They really do. And it operates at a really different level. We use the clicker in a way to reinforce not specific behaviors, but emotional states. I know it sounds probably a little voodoo-y right now, but it's really not. This is just basic animal science. The clicker that I like best for behavior modification is called the Clickino Clicker. I hope I'm saying that right because I've been saying that way for years. It's C-L-I-C-I-N-O. It's just a ring clicker that goes on your finger. And it works great because of a couple reasons. One is I don't like the really loud clickers and the Clickino is a softer clicker. That's all your dog needs. They can hear great in most cases. The second thing I like about it, it's on your finger and it doesn't tie up your hands. So we got a lot going on when we're doing behavior modification. We're managing the leash in the dog. We're managing the clicker. And we're managing getting treats. That needs to be a real seamless process. And the Clickino clicker that fits on your finger really frees your hands up enough to do that. It really works great. 
In the episode notes, I provided information. Just click on the Clickino Clicker Ring link to get more information on that. Again, it's not very expensive and it comes in lots of colors and sizes. I was kind of surprised to find that out. When it comes to that clicker or any clicker, regardless of which one you use, and a standard clicker, a button clicker or a box clicker can work. I just like that Clickino the best. But when it comes to that Clickino clicker or any clicker, don't use it on your dog till you know what you're doing. We don't want to waste or ruin that tool. Lots of explanation here, and we'll cover it in future episodes, but that is a very powerful thing, and we want to be really careful that we don't mess it up with a dog. So buy that clicker and sit on it, and we'll talk about it in future episodes. It's fairly simple, but we want to start out by conditioning or charging the clicker, and we'll talk about that, but just get it and wait. I really want to encourage you to do that. A small percentage of dogs believe it or not, or maybe not, is are scared of the clicker. The noise just sort of scares them. And if you've tried it or tried one in the past with your dog and they have a scared reaction, we don't want to use the tool. We'll, we'll have to use some other method, which we can. It's not super uncommon. I would say maybe 5 to 10% of dogs are a little bit afraid of it. And believe me, if they're afraid of it, we don't want to use it to address fear, right? That's not a very smart thing. So. We'll want to establish that too as well before using it. Let's move on to the next piece of equipment, the muzzle. And certainly not every dog is going to need a muzzle. What are we mostly concerned about with a muzzle? We're going to use the muzzle on dogs that are typically large and present at least a moderate or greater risk to humans, biting humans. We certainly would want to consider a muzzle in that case. And we're going to use it just as needed. We're not going to put the muzzle on the dog all the time, but when the dog, in short, is put in situations where the owner can't control the dog completely or the dog is going to be put in a fearful situation and might bite, we want to have the muzzle on there. Of course, we want to do everything we can to avoid that happening. Now, a good example of the use of the muzzle would be with a vet. Here's a situation where we don't have complete control of the dog. The dog is being forced into some scary situations, but it has to be to get some vet treatment. And vets just love it when you have a human aggressive dog that has some bite risk when you bring them in with the muzzle on. I make vets very happy when we, when we have human aggressive dogs that are set up in this situation. We also can use muzzles when there's some risk of the dog biting another dog. While that's bad, Obviously, the consequence for biting humans is much more significant. The gold standard for the type of muzzle is the Baskerville muzzle. And I provide a link in the episode description, and it's titled Basket Dog Muzzle, and it will direct you to the Baskerville muzzle. It's just pretty much what almost everybody uses in in the behavioral community when they need to muzzle a dog. Now, one of the issues that we have fairly often is what we call brachycephalic dogs. What are brachycephalic dogs? English bulldogs, French bulldogs, Boston terriers with short little noses. And these Baskerville muzzles don't really work on those dogs because they have the kind of the smushed in face. So we have to use a different type of muzzle. I don't have that in the information in the episode description, 
but you'll need to do a little bit of research to find a muzzle that might be appropriate for these dogs. They do make them. I have to tell you, they are really creepy looking. They look kind of like a Hannibal Lecter kind of thing on the dog's face, but you'll need to find one if you have a brachycephalic dog like that. In future episodes, we'll talk about using the muzzle. Now, there are some special training tools in some cases that we use for some dogs. The one that is most common in the special training tools, meaning only a small percentage of dogs need this, is the Thunderworks Thunder Cap. It's the same company that makes the Thunder shirt. That's in the name of the company is Thunder W-O-R-X. And the Thunder Cap is used for dogs that are really highly aggressive or highly fearful. And the way that it works, it's a soft spandex hood that goes over the dog's head. It does not keep the dog from biting, barking, eating, or doing anything. But what it does do is it provides what I call kind of a gauze area over the dog's eyes. And it keeps the dog from seeing very well. It doesn't blind them. They can still see, but it's like looking through gauze. And you'll see it in an example in the handout that I'm going to, or the attachment I'm going to provide in the, in the links. It turns down the visual trigger. It buys us some distance. And when we're treating reactive dogs, dogs that are aggressive or fearful of triggers, turning down that visual trigger a little bit for a temporary period is very helpful. It's a temporary training tool. It's not meant forever, but it's sometimes it is necessary for more severe cases. We're going to go over this also in a future episode on how to use it properly. Let's talk about management now. There are three tiers here. We have management, equipment, and owner education. So right now we're going to talk about management a little bit. Think about someone who is recovering from a chemical addiction of some sort. It's important for them to stay away from triggering events such as parties where there might be chemicals, illegal chemicals being circulated. Maybe if they have an alcohol issue, we may want them to stay away from bars. You get the idea. We just don't want to put them in situations where they could be triggered, which I think is kind of common sense. Well, guess what? In treating dog reactivity, dog aggression, dog fear avoidance, we want to do the same thing. So we're talking primarily about dog and human aggression. If your dog is triggered by either one or both of these, we want to keep them away from triggers. And what are those triggers? Well, normally it would be unfamiliar dogs and or humans. Why do I use the word unfamiliar? Because unfamiliar means the dog doesn't know them and is afraid. It's just the same reason that your dog is not aggressive to you normally or aggressive to other dogs living in your household. because. They know these triggers. They know these potential triggers. They know you. They know the dogs that live with you. And so they're not afraid of them. So they have no need to use this aggression. So it's going to be unfamiliar dogs and humans. We want to keep your dog away from these kinds of things. And how will you do it? You'll do it with distance. And you'll know you're far enough away if your dog is not reacting. If your dog is around the presence of an unfamiliar dog and or human, depending on what the triggers are, and is just looking and is reasonably calm, you're far enough away. 
If you're not far enough away, the dog will be reacting. Simply stated, what we're trying to do is to keep your dog from injuring another dog or even worse, a human to bite them. We can't have that. Those are rehearsals of behaviors, not to mention we don't want them injuring someone. What I found is that owners tend to underestimate the human bite risk. And the reason for that, I think, is because the dog is friendly to their family because the dog knows that family. And so they just project that out and assume the dog's going to probably be okay with everyone else. But the truth is they're not. And they just underestimate that bite risk a lot. So depending on your dog's aggression level and size, The information I provided in the episode information will be important or really extremely important regarding keeping your dog away from potential triggers, dogs or humans, so that they don't bite them. You'll find this under a link entitled The Ten Commandments of Managing a Human Aggressive Dog. So this is not behavior modification. This is simply some things you can do to keep them away from triggers to make sure that they stay as safe as possible, you don't get in trouble and the dog doesn't get in trouble. Let's talk about one last thing in the area of management, and that's safety specifically around children. Dogs that are nervous about humans tend to really get nervous, not always, but tend to really get nervous around children. And I'm going to define children from the dog's perspective as children under 10 or 10 and under. What do dogs not like about these children? Well, three things. They move fast, they're loud, and they're unpredictable. And fearful dogs really don't like that. Now, there are certainly some dogs who have issues with humans, unfamiliar humans, that are fine with children. But more often than not, I find that dogs who are fearful of humans and show aggression or avoidance, try to move away from the triggers because they're scared, normally are even more scared of children. But not always, but normally. And you know what? Good common sense says we want to really be careful about keeping children, I'm going to say 10 and under as a rule of thumb, away from fearful dogs that are showing some signs of aggression. We have to understand that. Dogs don't see children necessarily as a small human adult. They see them as a smaller and different type of biped, maybe almost a different animal from the dog's perspective. I have some information on this in the episode information, and it's a link titled Six Dog Bite Prevention Essentials You Need to Know to Protect Your Child. I know that's a long title, but it's descriptive of what it is. Six dog bite prevention essentials you need to know to protect your child. The last area I'm going to talk about as far as preparing for behavior modification is owner education. And specifically, I'm talking about proper handling of the dog or leash skills. In order for you to control your dog during behavior exercises or behavior treatment protocols, It's important that you have good control of your dog, since these exercises are primarily done on leash. What are our three objectives in good handling skills? And when I'm saying handling skills, I'm not talking about obedience type of handling skills like you'd see in a competition or something. I'm talking about 
handling skills or leash skills that are specific to behavior modification. What are the three objectives for that? One is to maintain the dog's attention to the handler, and the handler is the person with the leash, to not micromanage the leash. Owners tend to do a tremendous amount of leash input on the leash, which transfers down to the dog's collar. That's unnecessary. And this kind of input does not make the dog more relaxed. So think about it. We already have a fearful dog. So doing all this micromanagement of the leash is not necessary. And that micromanagement of the leash is called behavioral cueing. Doing all this leash input tends to send messages to the dog that we don't want going down there, such as that trigger that you see, for example, a human or a dog, That trigger that you see is very scary. That's why I'm giving you all this leash input right now. And maybe I'm scared too. So this is not something we want to do and we can work on this. And the last thing on owner education I want to talk about is dog body language. And that is super important to learn so that we know what the dog is telling us and how fast we need to go or slow we need to go in doing the behavior modification because it's the dog that's going to tell us the speed. I provided a link in the episode notes titled Understanding Dog Body Language Video. It's a 49-minute video. It's free on canine body language, and I think it's really, really important, and I require all of my new clients to watch it. We've gone through and listed a number of things under management, equipment, and education. These are the primary things that you'll want to look at. You may not need all of these things that we've listed, but you'll need most of them. None of these are expensive. The video training is free, and the other items are not very expensive at all. Because we have to have the proper equipment and essential owner training before we actually begin the behavior modification. I'm going to say that I call these prerequisites, and that's a good way to think of it as far from an academic perspective. In our next episode, I'll talk about handling or leash skills unique to behavior modification. We referenced this a little bit earlier in the episode, but we'll do a little bit more of a deep dive on it. And we'll start to use some of the tools that we talked about in today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on any of the popular podcast players. There's a button at the bottom of the landing page on dogaggressionanswers.com if you'd like to leave me a message. I try to answer all messages and always appreciate your input, of course. But before I leave you today, I want to remind you that if you have a dog who is aggressive and dangerous to dogs or humans, please always consult directly with a certified dog behavior consultant for help and make sure you take proper measures to ensure that your dog is never in a position to injure anyone. Thank you for joining me today. Before you go, please subscribe if you haven't already. If not for yourself, do it for your dog. If you find these episodes helpful, please leave a review. I'll see you next time as we continue your journey of addressing your dog's aggression. Now go hug your dog.